Well, it's good to be back with you. Appreciate your presence. We have some visitors. Well, it's good to see the Barger family with us. I haven't seen them in a long time. Last time I saw them, Becky was causing all kinds of trouble. I guess she outgrew that. I don't know. But it is good to see them. Uh, one of our friends from Memphis, Zach, is with us tonight. Glad he's here visiting. If you would, open your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We're going to notice the first ten verses. David wrote, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, Thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from Thy Spirit, or whither shall I flee from Thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, Thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, Thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall Thy hand lead me, and Thy right hand shall hold me. One of the characteristics that God has, which is peculiar only to Him, is the fact that He is omniscient. We might say He knows all things. Just as the psalmist said for us, there's nothing about me that God does not know, and there's nowhere from which I can hide that He cannot see me, that He cannot be where I am. There's not a word in my tongue that He doesn't know about it. There's not a thought in my mind that He doesn't already know what I'm thinking. Understanding He is powerful beyond our comprehension. There are some things that God does not know. That's what I've entitled the sermon this evening. Four things that God does not know. The first thing that God does not know that I want us to notice is He does not know a sin that He does not hate. There's not a sin that God does not hate. God hates sin first and foremost because it is a transgression of His law. It goes against what He has asked us to do. John warned us, 1 John 3, 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is sin because it breaks God's laws. The apostle's desire was to impress upon the reader that sin, no matter how small we might consider it to be, is still a transgression of God's law. And it will lead to condemnation. And he's warning us about that. Understanding that, we also understand that sin is sin whether we go beyond what is right or whether we fail to meet His righteousness. That makes it sin. When we transgress God's law, really what we are doing is giving our allegiance to Satan. We're taking our allegiance away from God and we're handing it over to someone who hates and despises us to the very core of our existence. The very individual that wants to see each of us in an eternal hell, right along with him, 
Now that is what Adam and Eve did early in the garden, wasn't it? They gave their allegiance to God. They knew what God expected. Just as Satan knew what God expected when he sinned. I want us to notice the words of the serpent, Genesis 3.1. He asked, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He knew what God had said. He wasn't asking that question of Eve to gather information. He was trying to place doubt in her mind. And he succeeded. He placed a doubt in her mind and she turned over her allegiance to him. And because of that, they were cast out of the garden. The wise man clearly stated, Proverbs 6, 16-19, he said, These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. He said, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God is a God of hate as well as a God of love. The difference in God hating something and man hating something is God hates that which it is righteous to hate. We better hate what God hates. We better love what He loves. God hates sin. We better hate that. Now there are different types of transgressions of God's laws. Sins of commission where we do something that directly violates God's law. We might lie, steal, or cheat, or or do some other thing that is unrighteous. That's a violation of God's laws. John said, All unrighteousness is sin, 1 John 5.17. There are also sins of omission, or failure to reach God's righteousness. James said, James 4.17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now what kind of examples can we think of that we can make application that would be a sin of omission? Well, what if we fail to pray properly for the things that God has asked us to do? We see that in 1 Samuel 12, 23. If Samuel did not pray, he said it would be a sin for him. Refusing to use the talents that God has blessed us with, we noticed that this morning for a moment, Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Perhaps not teaching others about Christ and His gospel. 1 Peter 3.15 Those are sins of omission. But we also have sins of disposition, don't we? We can violate God's law directly. We can not do what He's asked us to do. Or we can have a disposition that is not correct. If one were to come to worship without the right heart, that's sinful, isn't it? Notice what Christ said. He said, And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward, but thou, when you pray, enter into thy closet. When thou hast shut the door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward openly. Matthew 6, 5 and 6. God hates sin because it is a transgression of His law. But God also hates sin because it is a trespass against other people. 
Sin does not just affect those who are directly involved in it, does it? What about unfaithful fathers? Have they affected their children? Sure they have. Alcoholic parents, have they affected their children? We see that sin reaches into the lives of the innocent. It hurts those who have done nothing to be punished for. It causes heartache and loss, Luke 15, 11 through 32. We see the prodigal son going off into the far land of sin. And who did it hurt? It hurt everybody involved. It hurt him, but it hurt the innocent. Jesus said, John 13, 34, New commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye love one another. If we trespass against our brethren, or against our neighbors, or whoever it is we may trespass against, that's a transgression of God's law. And that doesn't show our love for one another, does it? Our kindness and love toward others will aid in helping them come to the gospel, won't it? We show that we demonstrate our love for someone because it truly is correct when, when we say no one cares what we believe until they believe that we care. We have to show our care. God hates sin because it is a transgression of His law, because it trespasses against other people, and because it robs us of tranquility. There is no peace in sin. Paul told the Philippian brethren, God offers peace that the world can simply not understand. He said, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4 verse 7. The world believes that sin will bring an individual peace and happiness, the things that they want, because simply it is enjoyable. Paul said otherwise. God's peace passes the understanding of the world because the world cannot even come near to comprehending the kind of peace that is found in Christ Jesus. When the Romans were persecuting the Christians during the reign of Domitian, they were astounded that they would give their lives, they would go to their deaths singing praises to God. Their reaction was, how do you fight something like that? They'll give their lives for what they believe in. That's a peace that the world cannot understand. God hates sin, but that in no way indicates that He hates the sinner. Our second point, and, or second thing that God does not know, is God does not know a sinner whom He does not love. God loves all people. He loves all people because He is the Creator of all things. He created us. He created the world in which we live. And the one that brought us into the world loves us. That's a fact. Indisputable. David wondered. Often when I read this passage in Psalm 8, and I read this particular uh, portion of that, verses 3 and 4, sometimes I, I, I try to in my mind, imagine the situation in which David found himself. Was he walking along the rooftop of his home? Was he gazing up into the stars and, and looking at the great creation that God had given to mankind? And he said, When I consider thy heavens, the works of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man, 
that thou visitest him. Can you imagine? We were sitting on the front porch last night. I was trying to cool off a little bit. Uh, the electricity went off and it was pretty hot and it was late. And So I sat, was sitting on the porch and just kind of looking around out into the darkness except for my neighbor to the right must have a generator. I was a little jealous. Everybody else was dark except for him. But I was just thinking of the beauty of creation. Why does God care about me? I'm just one person in a sea of over seven billion. But He does. God loves us. Do you remember when Naomi decided to return to the land of Judah? She had heard that the Lord had visited His people in giving them bread, Ruth 1 verse 6. God visits us. He visits us because He loves His creation. He gave us this wonderful world to enjoy in the proper way. He wanted His greatest creation to subdue the gift of the world and to have dominion over it. Genesis 1.26 And we've been given every necessity of life. Why do we not take advantage of it? He has given us everything. Before He ever even created the first couple, He provided a home for them. He provided food for them to eat. He gave them work to occupy their time. He set everything up, but the greatest gift that He gave them was that beautiful relationship that He had and that they enjoyed for at least a short period of time. God loves all people, including those who reject Him. He's shown that through His creation and the things that He has done. You know, there has for the last several years, there has been a particular denomination periodically popping up in the news. And when a soldier dies or something happens of that nature, they go and they'll picket that funeral. And they'll have signs held up that says, God hates homosexuals. Or God hates this person. Or God hates that person. That's a lie. God hates no person. Does He hate homosexuality? Yes, He hates the sin, but He does not hate the sinner. And He's shown that because He is the Creator. But that's not the only way that He has demonstrated His love for His creation. He is the greatest contributor that man has ever known. However beautiful and needful the physical world is, He has contributed something to us far greater When we read John 3.16, probably the most common verse that anyone in the world would know, we learn from that that He contributed to us His only begotten Son. His only one of that kind. A very unique Son. And He gave it for the rest of us. He has contributed that. I don't think a more beautiful verse exists in the Bible to demonstrate God's great love for us and the contribution He's given to us. We see His great love for even the sinners of the world. Notice what Paul said, Romans 5, 8, But God commendeth His love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, not not to those who had obeyed the gospel, He gave His Son while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. God doesn't know a sinner He does not love because we have all been, at one time or another, sinners. 
Everyone has to come out of darkness into light. And everyone who came out of darkness into light once lived in the darkness. But God loved us when we hated Him. And we can come out of that. That doesn't mean that the converted sinner will no longer make mistakes. That's not at all what that means. But that means the converted sinner is not living in sin because God loved us enough for us to be able to come to Him. We can go lay our burdens upon Him. We have an opportunity to no longer be under the bondage of sin. And we can accept that if we want to. God doesn't know a sinner that He does not love, but He still will be just in the end. He's righteous and He's just. That's why He can love His creation. When it comes time to stand before the judge of all the world, and we've been found guilty of sin because we have not accepted Christ's sacrifice, He will say, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. God doesn't know a sinner He does not love because He is the Creator. He is our greatest contributor, but He is also our keeper. He keeps us. We don't have to worry. God has been described as the Good Shepherd. In one of His parables, Christ spoke of Himself as the Good Shepherd. He talked about that shepherd who would go out and leave the flock behind and search out that one lost sheep. And once He found that sheep, He would cast it upon His shoulder and He would go in and He would rejoice. He would call His neighbors and He'd say, I found my sheep, the one that, the one that was lost. I left the 99 back. So again, we go back and we, we're, we're sitting and we're gazing out into the stars and we think, why does God consider me one of more than 7 billion? Because He loves us individually. He keeps us. He wants what's best for us. God always watches and cares for us. He's always doing that. We do not have to worry about Him abandoning us to our own devices. What did He promise? The writer of Hebrews said that Christ said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13.5 When we look at John 10.27-30, He says, My sheep know who I am. They hear my voice. I know who they are. He says, there's no one, no man can pluck my sheep out of the Father's hand. He said, I and my Father are one. He has not given Satan or any man or anything the authority or the power to break our connection with Him. Now we can break it. We can leave His hand of safety. We don't have to stay. He won't make us. But no one else can take us from Him. Paul assured the Corinthians, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. He said, But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's not going to allow us to be drawn away against our will. That's not going to happen. He's made sure of that because He's our keeper. God doesn't know a sin that He doesn't hate. He doesn't know a sinner that He does not love. But He also doesn't know a better way of salvation than the one He has provided for us. There isn't a better way of salvation 
apart from God's, is there? Why is that? Because it prepares us for eternity. Do you know that there are more than 55 million people die every day? More than that in the world. Every single day, more than 55 million people go into eternity and the vast majority of them go in unprepared. They're not prepared to meet God. We sing that as an invitation song sometimes, don't we? Prepare to meet God. Well, they're unprepared. God doesn't know a better way of salvation because His is the only way that does prepare us to meet Him in eternity. He's given it to us. He's given us the answer to the test. He's given us the answers to the questions. Paul said to those in Rome, Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. He didn't say it's one of the powers of God unto salvation. You can go find another way. We're all going to heaven. We're just taking different roads. That's not what Paul said. He said the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. We have to believe it. His way is the only way that powers us to salvation. He loves us. The gospel teaches us about the church for which Christ died. So it could be established. Acts 20, 28. It is the New Testament church where we find salvation. Acts 2, 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's where we find His plan of salvation in the gospel. And it prepares us. Well, which church is that? And can we find it? I want to know where that church is and I want to know if I can be a part of it. Well, we can find it. We can find it and it is the one that was established on the first Pentecost following the Lord's ascension, Acts chapter 2. It's the one that He said He would build, Matthew chapter 16. It is the one that bears His name, the church of Christ, Romans 16, 16. Christ had something to say about people who refused to follow His teachings. Matthew 15, 7 through 9, You hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. The commandments of men taught as doctrines is the most dangerous thing in the spiritual realm. It makes people believe they're doing that which God wants, but they're not checking it with the Bible, and they're simply taking someone's word for it. That is so dangerous, it's going to cost billions of people to enter into hell. There's not a denominational doctrine in the world that can prepare us for eternity. They do not exist. They're counterfeit. It's all lies. Only God's way is able to do that. God's way is the only way. His plan is best because it prepares us. But it's best also because it's a privilege to be a part of it. It's a privilege to be obedient to God. He adds us to His church. That's a privilege. I don't understand how someone would want to be a part of an organization that some other person decides whether you can be in it or not. 
Now we're talking about religious organization, churches. We're not talking about civil, civic organizations. There's nothing wrong with those, many of them. But we're talking about churches. Why would we want to join ourselves to a man-made institution trying to get to heaven that way when God adds us to His church? What a privilege it is to be obedient to God and to His Son. To be a member of that church that was established 2,000 years ago. God doesn't know a better plan of salvation because it prepares us, because it's a privilege, and because it's a priority. Or at least it ought to be, right? There's nothing more important than being a member of His church. That is the first and foremost thing we ought to be concerned with. Christ demonstrated His belief in the kingdom, didn't He? Matthew 6, 33, He said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You seek that above all things. Seek to be a member of the church. It was of such priority that Jesus begged the people, Come unto Me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Eternal rest can only be found in Christ's church. There are some things God does not know. He doesn't know a sin. He doesn't hate. He doesn't know a sinner who He doesn't love. He doesn't know a better plan of salvation than the one He has left for us to follow. But I want us to notice the final thing we're going to speak about tonight. God does not know a better time to obey the gospel then right now. Now is the time of salvation. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Today, not tomorrow. All we have is right now. And right now is the only time we've been promised. God has promised us right now we can be saved. Now as time ticks on, we don't have a promise for that. Jesus taught the importance of recognizing something that was valuable. And He taught the importance of not waiting to claim it as your own. He said, Matthew 13, 45-46, Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who when he found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all he had for what? To buy that pearl. And he bought it. He didn't go look at it. When I go shopping, often I go window shopping. Right? I look at something and I think, boy, I would like to have that. But maybe it's out of my budget range. But this man, he saw that goodly pearl. He went and sold everything he had because it was worth everything he had. The pearl is the gospel. And he wanted it. And he got it right then. He acted then. But why is today the day of salvation? Because we don't know if tomorrow is going to come. We have health problems. We have uh, all kinds of natural disasters. We have disease. We have all sorts of things. Tomorrow may not come. James said that, didn't he? He said it's like a vapor. It's here, then it's gone. James 4.14 I want us to read a passage in 2 Peter 3, verses 9-12. through 12. I want us to pay close attention to what Peter said. Peter has described for us the last day. Now he didn't tell us when that last day was coming. But he certainly described it. Notice the events. He begins by saying, The Lord is not slack 
concerning His promise. The Lord keeps His promises, as some men count slackness. But His long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, Peter was dealing with a problem. People said, nothing has changed from the beginning of time. The Lord has never come back, and He's not going to come back. Well, if you read that passage, Peter says, oh no, you make a mistake. You're incorrect. There are a lot of things have changed since the beginning of time. What about the flood? That was a big change for the earth, wasn't it? He goes on to say, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It's going to be destroyed. It's going away. We're not going to have these things that are making us be attached to the world. Understanding that, he continued, seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Life is precious but it is preciously short. And we can't count on it. I doubt anyone has lain on their deathbed and said, boy, I didn't think this day would ever get here. I have lived entirely too long. I think many people and most who were able to consider their circumstances at that time must have thought, time sure did fly by. I surely wish I had done some other things in this life. God is all-powerful. He's all-present. He's all-knowing. He knows our getting up and our sitting down. But there are some things He doesn't know. He doesn't know us any. doesn't hate. He doesn't know a sinner. He doesn't love. He doesn't know a better plan of salvation. And He doesn't know a better time to obey it than right now. If you're not a Christian, obey the gospel plan of salvation. The Lord is pleading with you as we speak. Come unto me, all ye who are troubled and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest from the bondage of sin. Today is the day of salvation. I expect to get up in the morning. If I were to look at my calendar, I expect I have some things planned for tomorrow. But I don't know that tomorrow will come. We have to plan for tomorrow, but we have to live like it will not come. He truly promised only one opportunity of salvation, and that's now. If you haven't obeyed the gospel of Christ, heed the words of Ananias as he spoke to a praying, fasting Saul of Tarsus, what tarest thou? Arise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord, Acts twenty two sixteen. If you find yourself in that position today, or if you need to come back to the Lord, repenting of sin, confessing that, do that as we stand and as we sing.
Let us pray. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we once again thank you that we've had the opportunity on this occasion to come and